Welcome to today's episode of Women to Women. Our guest today is Tracy Stai, who has 20 years of experience in the financial services industry in various roles, including equity research, relationship management, communications, and marketing. She's also a certified leadership and career coach for women. As a coach, her mission is to empower women to discover their unique personal success formula as no two women are the same. She particularly enjoys working with women of color and helping them navigate the unique challenges they face. Tracy graduated from the Wharton School and the University of Pennsylvania. She's a mother of two and loves teaching, creating connections, and inspiring growth. Welcome, Tracy. We are so glad to have you here today with us. Hi, Divya. Thank you so much for having me. So let's get started with something that not a lot of people know about, taught Mandarin Chinese classes. So how did that come about? And anything else that we don't know about you? Yeah, so, so for me, my, my first love was always music. Um, and I also love languages. I grew up bilingual. So when I had kids, I wanted to raise them as um, bilingual in English and Mandarin Chinese as well. And so um, I, I saw this opportunity to combine my interest in music, in languages, and in teaching. And it really started off with me teaching my own kids. Um, but then some of the neighborhood kids got involved. We got a group together. Next thing you know, I was writing some music, um, Chinese music, and we made this kind of a music-based Mandarin class for preschoolers. Um, so we sang a lot of songs. Um, you know, we made some props and we're learning Chinese that way. So it was something that was born out of just my love for certain things. And it became something that I actually ended up doing for a few years on the side uh, as my kids were, were growing up. That is so unique. Um, first of all, I think kids love music and they learn so much faster with music, you know, as lyrics rather than just a subject mm -hmm. that they have to learn. So that, that's a very unique concept. Do you still do that? Uh, sometimes. I do actually have a uh, Instagram and Facebook page that I occasionally post to, and it really features me and my two daughters. Um, you know, we either are reading a book together in Mandarin, um, or we have some music, just little, little things here and there. Um, it's not an active class anymore, but it is a resource for any parents who are looking to raise their kids and have them learn and some Mandarin Chinese. That's wonderful. You mentioned you grew up bilingual. So how was childhood like? Um, well, you know, I loved being bilingual because um, I always felt like I had a second language that I could use uh, with my parents. And I always spoke uh, Chinese with my parents. I, I loved being able to kind of see the world two different ways. Um, you know, the ways that different phrases kind of indicate different, you know, meanings. And I think it really helped me a lot. Um, you know, I guess I really loved languages and reading and it just um, really helped me kind of express myself in more than just one way. So growing up, who was the biggest influence for you? I would say that would be my mom. So we moved to the U.S. from Taiwan when I was five years old. And one thing that I always ob observed about her growing up was that she was extremely resourceful and creative. She had this way of solving problems where, you know, we, we had limited resources at the time, but very often, you know, if something was broken, we wouldn't buy a new one, but my mom would never complain. She would just grab some tools, look around at what we had in the house and then find a creative way to fix it or make it better. So, you know, one time I remember she reupholstered a whole couch using bed sheets. 
right? And then we also had a dining table that had a broken leg and she somehow used a metal spoon and braced the leg, the leg joint, and then we used it. So I think, I think that gave me this mentality, this mindset that there's always a creative solution to every problem. And instead of complaining, sometimes you just got to roll up your sleeves and, and find a creative solution. She modeled that for me at home. Um, but I think later on, it really came in handy when I you know, started working and um, it helped me a lot at work too. And now as a parent, it helps me a lot all the time. I grew up in India. And that was the same for us. We never threw things until they were like ready to be thrown away. If it was working, you made it work. Exactly. If there was any life left in it for use for something, you know, it it, it would be used. So, yeah, I I know sometimes I tell my kids now, like this whole reuse and, you know, thrift stores, they're all coming up now here. Um, And Mm -hmm. I I grew up this way. So it's it's very funny to see that being the trend here now after Mm -hmm. so many years. If you had to live again, right, what would you do differently? Well, first, I have to say that I believe that everything that I've experienced so far in my life, even the tough stuff, is all a valuable part of my journey. So I don't regret very much. Um, But if I could change one thing, um, I do wish that I learned at an earlier age that there are many paths to success. So as a child, I I was an overachiever. And if we're being honest, I think sometimes I still am. Um, But the difference is now as an adult, I'm much more aware and more conscious of when my mindset as an overachiever is hurting me and not helping me. So for example, something that I used to think about, I had this kind of all or nothing mentality, right? So if I didn't get good grades, or if I didn't get a job, or I didn't get a promotion, then I feel like, oh, I've messed up, you know, somehow I've fallen off a path of success. But then, you know, I realized it's kind of like, who, who created that path, right? Who created that high bar that I've set for myself? And is it true that it's really either that or nothing? Or are there many paths that could lead me to success. Ultimately, the bigger question that I I ended up having to answer was, what does success really mean to me? When I was younger, it was just a much more narrow definition. And now that I'm older, I wish I could go back and tell my younger self, there are many ways to get to where you are and to be satisfied. So you don't have to be so stressed out or so nervous every time something quote unquote goes wrong. But do you think, um, and I've had so many conversations with different women, and we feel that we hold ourselves to a much higher standard than we need to. Do you feel that way as well? And since now you're also a career coach for women, do you see that a lot? Yes, I absolutely see that a lot. It's it's something that, as you said, particularly happens for women. It, it depends on whether this high bar or these high expectations you've set for yourself are hurting you or helping you. You know, it's not, it's not wrong to have high expectations, but if having those high expectations are preventing you from either enjoying your life or achieving more success, because sometimes it can hurt you to set a very high bar. And then if you don't necessarily have the tools to help yourself navigate that, it could really negatively impact you. And that comes out in the form of a lot of overwhelm, stress, you know, self-blaming, not being able to set boundaries because you feel like you're responsible for everything and eventually burnout. 
so for the type of women that I work with, they tend to be high, high achievers. And that, so I do see that a lot. So what got you into coaching? So you have a very demanding career in finance. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Coaching also is quite demanding because you literally have to live their life and help them get through challenges. What really inspired you to get into the coaching aspect? Yeah, so I've been in the financial services industry for a long time, and, and I do enjoy the work that I do. Um, but there was one point um, at which I, I sat down and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm doing really well by external standards, what I always had thought I would be doing. But then I always seemed to feel that internally there was something missing. And so um, I think the aha moment for me came one day when I realized that somewhere along the way, I, I started to let my work define me and it kind of took over my identity. And so the reason I started feeling that dissonance was because some of my core values were being neglected. You know, for example, I really value learning, uh, creativity, and and health and well-being. What happened was I had gotten to a point in my career was where I wasn't learning or growing as much as I used to. There was very little creativity happening. And then I was working in a way that was compromising some of my well-being. And so once I realized this, I started to find ways to incorporate those values back into my life. You know, coaching was one of the things that came up for me. I actually hired my own coach to kind of work through some of these uh, feelings that I had been having, especially around my career. You know, should I stay? Should I go? Should I do something else? And through that process um, of mainly it was a self-discovery and figuring out what I really wanted, uh, I realized that coaching is something that I wanted to do for other women because I had just gone through that journey myself. And I could see and I heard from my friends and other women I knew that this is something that tends to happen once you get to a certain point in your career. You're doing great, but you might want something more. And how do you find that? And so going back um, to your initial statement, right, that you were successful and you were doing great. And then you found that you actually enjoyed doing coaching as well. So in your job, did you wish that you had started off in a different way or in a different path within your current career? Um, you know, in, in the beginning of my career, there, there were times where I questioned, you know, the job or the industry that I was in. But as, as I said, I feel like every step in a person's journey has value. So I don't, I don't think I would have wanted to start any other way um, because I saw in hindsight that every experience I had was an opportunity for learning and for growth and got me to where I am now. You know, one example, early in my career, I started out as an equity research analyst at Citigroup, and I didn't necessarily enjoy the analytical nature of the work, but I was able to gain a skill set in financial analysis that ended up helping me later on in my career, even though I was doing something very different. That skill set gave me credibility, and it gave me the confidence to then pivot to other roles within finance, um, where that level of knowledge and expertise was not essential, but it was highly valued. You know, that that's an example of where you might be in a role right now that you don't necessarily enjoy. But if you see it as a learning and growth opportunity, then one day that can become really useful and really valuable no matter where you decide to go from there. So you went to Wharton, which is mm-hmm. congratulations, awesome school. <laughs> Do you think that really helped you in your career? Like what role did that play for you? I think the name definitely helped to to open doors. 
right? I mean, even now, as you say the name, it's kind of like people know it, right? And so there's, there is a little bit of, of weight that comes with it. I can't say that past the first job that I ever got, I mean, helped me get my first job. But I think beyond that, I don't really think it mattered that much. You know, and I, I've been involved in recruiting and hiring for roles within my industry as well. And at a certain point, that becomes less important. And what's more important is what that person has done. And these days, even more importantly, how that person comes across to you on the other side of the table as a person, right? So there are so many other factors other than, you know, the, the name brand of, of a school. Um, but it did help me open doors in the very beginning. So we spoke a little bit about your core values. How do you incorporate that in your everyday life? So my first value, um, which is growth and learning, that I incorporate in so many different ways. And coaching is one of them. You know, um, I made the commitment to get certified, which was um, about a year in a coaching school, which I did on nights and weekends while I was working full time. But I loved it. I was I was never tired. It was very energizing for me um, because I was learning and I was learning something that was very interesting to me. So I'm always searching for those opportunities. And, you know, when I think about starting the Mandarin classes, it was the same thing. I was trying to learn alongside my children. I was trying to learn how to be a teacher, um, which is something that I always wanted to do. And, you know, that was also very fulfilling. So I think in in any um, situation that I'm in, I always have this mindset towards what can I learn from this? Uh, What can I do to make this a learning project for me? Um, So that's the way that I I incorporate learning. And the second one is creativity. Again, there's very similar examples, right? The music, the Mandarin music class was a way that I could create a curriculum from scratch, create the music, create the props, everything. I also enjoy writing on the side. I do some writing, creative writing. And for work now, I do financial writing. So that's how I kind of scratch that itch. (laughs) And lastly, well-being. So that's both physical and mental well-being. And I'm doing that through a lot of what I learned in coaching, the, you know, the skill set and the tools that I've learned. I apply to myself. I apply to my family. So I'm, I'm always kind of trying to integrate the ideas. For example, mindfulness, gratitude, self-reflection, self-awareness, emotional intelligence. So all of these things I have, I see opportunities in my everyday life, uh, especially with my husband and kids to use them. That's how I incorporate my values. So as a coach, you meet a lot of women. Do you see a pattern where women make similar kind of mistakes or things that you think women should be avoiding and maybe focusing on other attributes or developing those skills to really be their best self? Well, I think that really varies. Um, It's hard to paint a broad brush, um, but like I mentioned, the women that I work with tend to be very high achievers and they're quite tough on themselves. And so something that we we work on a lot is um, what kind of messaging they are are telling themselves, or what are the thoughts and beliefs that are driving how you feel? Diving into, is that helping you? Is that hurting you? You know, where does that come from? And how true is it? And if it's not true, what new belief can we develop for you that's going to help you? So whether that's 
you wanting to get a new job, get a promotion, be a better colleague, be a great leader or manager, what type of thoughts are going to support you? You might be a high achiever and the things that got you to that place may not necessarily be the things that are going to help you from here on. So you've got to change your mindset around that. So for a new uh, person just coming out of college, what would you suggest a startup strategy be when they're choosing a career? I would say, um, one, don't be afraid to make mistakes or to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of someone who wants to learn. And, you know, I think back to all the times that we've had uh, interns or, you know, younger colleagues on our team, and it's the ones who ask a lot of questions that tend to learn the fastest, pick it up the fastest, and where everyone's like, well, I want, I want her on my team. Because you get the sense that they are truly trying to learn, and they're not going to try to cover up a mistake. They'll own up to the mistake and say, hey, how could I do, how could I have done this better? So don't be afraid to make mistakes or to ask for help. It's actually a good thing. The second thing I would say is to develop a mastery mindset versus a performance mindset. So what I mean by that is I think as you're starting out coming out of school, you know, all your life so far, it's been kind of hitting targets um, academically. Um, and then once you come into the workforce, it's kind of like, well, now what do I what, what do I aim for? Right. You usually aim for the title, the next promotion. But instead of thinking that way, if you adopt a mastery mindset, what that means is that you set mastery goals. What do I want to master? Soft skills, hard skills. There's so many things that you can aim to do that have nothing to do with an outcome, a performance outcome. If you adopt this attitude, then it's going to be more helpful for you in the long run. Let's say you don't get that promotion. If you had a performance or outcome oriented mindset, you would say, oh, I failed. It was a waste of time to have worked so hard on this. But if you have a mastery mindset, you would say, you know what, that's okay, because this year I learned how to collaborate with people. I learned what criteria is needed to get promoted and where my gaps are. I was exposed to all the people that need to know that I want this promotion so that when I try again next time, they're, they're going to know that I'm really serious about this. Um, so there's so many things that you can try to master rather than just focusing on the outcome. And um, then lastly, third one I would say is just be kind to yourself, right? Especially if you tend to be an overachiever, um, be more forgiving of yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. And I think one thing that high achievers tend to do is they forget to celebrate themselves. So whenever you have any sort of success, big or small, make a big deal of celebrating it instead of moving on to the next thing so quickly. That tends to happen a lot when we always have our eyes on the next target. Take the time to just say, wow, I, I did a really great job on this. I'm awesome. So that's great advice. Sometimes culturally, you know, it's, it's considered boasting, like you're boasting, you did this and you did that. So do you think that also plays a little bit of role in people not opening up to celebration for every small thing because they're like, this is not big enough for celebration. 
Yeah, absolutely. There, there are definitely um, cultural differences there. And so when I say celebrate, it doesn't necessarily need to be an outward celebration. So if that's not comfortable for you, um, you can celebrate with yourself. Um, you can celebrate with your loved ones. But say it out loud, even if you're all alone in a room, say it out loud to yourself, because that triggers something in the brain. It, it tells your brain like, hey, I want more of this. But if you never say it out loud, it, it's not going to happen. So if you're not comfortable sharing with all your colleagues on LinkedIn, at least tell your mom, you know, tell your husband, tell your kids, hey, look what mommy did today. Or if you're all by yourself, just do a little dance. You know, it's it's just about acknowledging that, hey, I did something that I'm proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Because every celebration counts and every milestone should be celebrated, no matter how big or small. Um, talking of friends, did you have like a close group of friends that you're still in touch with? What kind of networking did you start out with um, straight out of high school? So anybody who's, you know, just starting out because there's this whole perception, right? Everybody has a different definition of networking. What is your definition and how soon do you think people should start looking at it and what value does it bring to the table? Yeah, so I personally don't love the term networking. I've always had kind of this visceral reaction to networking and I think anyone who's an introvert <laughs> probably sees that word. They're like, oh, I hate that word, right? Um, but you made a really good point is, you know, you're asking about when did it start for me and and. I think networking is just a different way of saying connections, connecting to people. And that really can start at a young age with your friends. So I am so fortunate that I do have a small group of friends from high school that I still keep in contact with, one of whom was another guest on your podcast. And so I, I'm just so fortunate because even to this day, we have a, a uh, texting group, a thread where Occasionally, we check in with each other, and here's where some of the celebrations happen, too. Um, you know, we share with each other what's going on, and then we all celebrate the good things that, that um, each of us are doing. And so it could be friends. It starts out, you know, when you're younger, it's your friends. There's some friends that you make that really can stay with you for a long time. And if you have that, you are extremely fortunate. As you move into uh, different circles outside of friend circles, I would say that anyone that you come across can be part of your quote unquote network. So I, I have this saying that I like to, to um, use, which is that everyone I meet is my student and my teacher. So I love to make connections with people, not for the sake of you know a network, but more that if we've connected with each other, that means that energetically I've given something to you and you've given something to me, we're automatically connected. I, I would say uh, I would be comfortable with you ever reaching out to me for anything, right? We, we've come across each other on this earth at this time. And for the most part, most people, if they're, if they're reached out to by someone, they are more than happy to, to help. And I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with that idea because um, they might feel like, you know, I don't want to bother that person. I actually don't know them that well. But a, like most people I know have very good intentions when it comes to networking. Now there's the really formulaic networking that I think uh, it, it's, it's different. Um, you know, that, that might be a little less organic. And I tend not to do that as much because 
for me, when I meet people, if there is a connection, I, I automatically consider them part of my network. That is true. We um, meet so many people, right? And they're like, okay, this is a networking event. I'm like, okay, it's basically to your point, you know, it's really connection, getting to know the person really well and understand how we can help each other in whichever way possible. It doesn't have to have a tag and it doesn't have right. to have a specific time that you do networking in. Yeah. I think I think you you hit the nail on the head just knowing each other as people, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's it doesn't have to be so formal all the time. And that's what I tell my mentees too. Um, a lot of the high school kids, I'm like, it starts early and try to make friends. It's basically another way of saying I'm going to make friends. Get to know people really well, what their values are, what they bring to the table, what you bring to the table. And always keep an open mind. You know, it's not about what we can do for each other today. It's like knowing each other. How can we help each other in the rest of our life from this point yeah. on? Right. right. I agree with that. Yeah. So any instances where um, you kind of learn to project your self-confidence even better? Yeah. So I, I remember there was this time um, when I first started off in the financial services industry, um, it was mainly men in, in the area that I worked. And so, you know, when we would walk into those big meeting rooms, there's a huge table, chairs all around it. Um, I would see other women, especially more junior women, take the seats, not at the table, but kind of along the walls on the side of the room. And so, you know, not really knowing what I was supposed to do, I would follow them and I would sit there too. I would do the same thing. And it wasn't until one time there was um, a more senior woman at one of these meetings um, who saw me take a seat on the side. And she was, she was like, what are you doing there? There's open seats at the table. Why aren't you sitting there? And, and I kind of was like, I, I wasn't sure if I, if I was supposed to sit there. And she was like, you can, you're allowed to sit anywhere. Right. And so that, that really stood out to me. Um, this experience stood out to me because it allowed me to feel like I belong here. You know, I deserve to sit anywhere that I please because I've just as much to contribute. I've just as much value to add as any other person in this meeting. And, you know, I don't know if things are different nowadays. I really hope they are. Um, but I feel like sometimes, um, especially when you're first starting out and you're not really sure, for, for women, you tend to just um, kind of follow what other people are doing and you, you, don't, you don't feel bold enough or like you feel like, I don't know if I deserve to be here. Um, but the idea is that, you know, you should be able to walk into a room and take any seat that you please because you you do have a lot of value to add. Psychologically, just being able to do that, you know, helped me feel more confident in, in what I was bringing literally to the table. Yeah, and you do see that a lot with uh, new graduates, interns, um, and we talk about it. And many a times they mention, yeah, we do have this imposter syndrome because we think we're not good enough to be here with all of you guys. I'm like, no, 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 you have a different perspective. And this is a conversation I had about five years ago. I had no Instagram account. I had no Facebook account. I'm like, trust me, the world is going towards all these platforms that I have no clue about. You know more about it than I ever will. By the time I catch up, you would have gone somewhere else. So to your point, I think everybody brings value to that table through the diversity of thought, age, and just the exposure. The exposure yeah. they have, we don't. Any advice for aspiring women who want to be leaders like you? Um, well, the first thing that I would say to them is 
know that you are already a leader and you don't need to wait for a title to be one. Oftentimes in the corporate space, um, we associate leadership with the senior executives or being a manager, uh, but there are so many different ways to lead. So if you're involved in any sort of social construct that has people in it, uh, be it your workplace, your own family, uh, your neighborhood, your school, any community that you're part of, you can practice being a leader and you can be a leader. Um, those are all opportunities where you can work on leadership skills. So I would say anytime you have influence and are able to help others maximize their efforts and you're all working towards some goal or vision, then you are leading. I like to recommend that women start practicing if they're not comfortable with leadership, never been in a leadership position before, find opportunities to practice leadership and you can find this in the most mundane of places. So for me, one of the places that I experiment with the concepts of leadership that I learn and I read about in books, I do with coaching, um, I experiment on my family, <laughs> on my kids. So, you know, when you learn about concepts of being, you know, emotionally intelligent, I try out those concepts at home. You know, when I listen, actively listening to my husband or to my children tell me about something, um, practicing empathy, practicing how I respond to situations. Um, these are all things that you can practice even if you are not yet in a formal leadership position. Yeah, you can lead from anywhere you are. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right on that. So you mentioned your kids, right? You experiment all your leadership <laughs> principles in there. So how are they faring? What are they learning? Because they see you in action, right? And I think seeing is the best way to learn something. Because mm -hmm. you emulate your parents more than anybody else. And now if you're actually experimenting your leadership skills on them, I'm sure they're learning a lot. Have, have you seen any of that? Yeah, I, I have. And I'm super grateful. Um, sometimes they will come across a problem and they'll be very flustered as, as all people are when they come across a problem they can't solve. But then as, as they start talking through it, I hear little nuggets of things that I've told them before. And it really just warms my heart because I'm like, oh, they got it. And, um, you know, I have to say both my girls are pretty good at problem solving and, um, you know, they will be the, the kids that if they see something going on with other kids, whether it be an argument or something happening where they'll they'll step in um, and exercise their leadership in that in that situation and, and, and try to help out in the ways that they know how. And so, you know, it gives me a lot of pride that some of this is actually working. <laughs> No, thank you so much, Tracy. It was such a pleasure talking with you. And uh, thanks for all the great advice and your experiences. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, you're very welcome. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Divya.